0: Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt, and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was eighty years old, and Aaron eighty-three years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, and you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down a staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they did their magic of Egypt as they did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down a staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he refuses to let the people go. Go to the Pharaoh in the morning, and as he going into the water, stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, in vessels of wood, and vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of the servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died. And the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same as their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into the house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dung along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile.
1: Turn your Bibles to Exodus. Chapter 7, Sammy read chapter 7 for us. We're going to be studying chapter 7 through chapter 8, verse 19. So this is narrative text. So when we study narrative text, we take we, we study a lot of, lot of text, a lot of verses. And we read some of that for, uh, for you. Uh, we read it together. But some um, for some of this, I want to encourage you to be reading ahead. Next week, we'll pick right up where we left off. We're in the book of Exodus, walking verse by verse through the book. And I want to kind of catch you up where we um, where we are. um, We took a week off. I appreciate Phil preaching for us, and it's always a joy to my heart uh, when I when I'm not here and things go on as usual, and um, that is a a blessing uh, for me as your pastor. And I'm thankful for Phil for um, Blake leading in service and just what a. What a wonderful church we have! If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. And this is—I was telling someone earlier—Sunday morning. You know, we think of church like Sunday morning worship. Is this is church? But it's not. It's—it's it's not the—it's not what church is about. This is just a little part of what we do. Now it's important because we're singing truth, we're we're studying truth, but church is is living life with a group of people. So I'm so glad to see you here. Um, but we would encourage you to um, to be here for a bit. And if you think, man, I think I like this church, I like these people, uh, I like what's going on, the vision there, then let's um, get in, in to know some, some more of our folks, because that's really what church is all about. But let's study. We're in Exodus chapter 7. Let me catch you up. If you're visiting with us, it's it's not a problem. We're jumping right in the middle of the text, but I'm going to let you know where we've been. Well, God has chosen Moses to lead his people out of bondage in Egypt. They've been in Egypt 400 years. And Moses reluctantly went to Egypt to tell the, first of all, to tell the Israelites that God had sent him to deliver them. And God gave him the ability to to perform signs to show them that he was from the Lord. And not only did they not reject him, but they worshipped Yahweh. They worshipped God, who had heard their cry and sent them a deliverer. And when Moses does obey the Lord and tell Pharaoh to let God's people go, Pharaoh makes it more difficult for the Israelites. He did not let them go. In fact, he made it more difficult for them to live they had a quota of bricks they had to make and so instead of providing straw for them Pharaoh decided he'll make it hard on them and he he withheld the straw instead of gathering straw and and delivering it to them to make the bricks he said well from now on you're going to collect your own straw but your quota is still the same and and of course that throws uh, the Israelites into they have a fit don't they and they start to complain and lament and Moses is dejected and he is discouraged but in chapter 6, we read last time, God reaffirms that he will indeed rescue the Israelites. Trust me, I'm going to keep my word is what he tells Moses. And, and we see this genealogy at the end of chapter 6 and by choosing Moses and Aaron to be the leaders that's going to deliver Israel from Egypt, God is showing us that this has been his plan from the beginning. It's just a, just an uh, um, off-the-cuff kind of decision. God has has been planning this all along, and these men, they're going to be, they're Levites, and the Levites are going to be instrumental in leading um, this nation in worship. So, this is really important. So, Moses is hesitant he's reluctant he likes faith but god it's like a roller coaster god is continuing encouraging him and and, and helping him along and so we're in chapter 7 and what we're going to see today three things we're going to see from this text chapter 7 through 8 verse 19 and the first one is god's purpose in delivering his people is primarily his glory isn't that what this is all about why are we here and that's is to give god glory right that all will know that he alone is the sovereign God. That's his purpose. His purpose in delivering his people is primarily his glory, that all will know that he alone is the sovereign God. Now think about where we are in the story. Pharaoh is the leader of Egypt, and Pharaoh thinks he's God. I mean, he's got it all together, and he's even worshipped there in Egypt. And you can understand why he would think that. I mean, he's the leader of the greatest nation of that time. In fact, everything that he wanted to happen happened just like that. Everything that he wanted to see happen was carried out by his servants. But notice in verse 1 that says that Moses was to be like God to Pharaoh. That's interesting. Here you have the, the leader of the, the most powerful leader in the world, but God is trying to encourage Moses, isn't he? You're going to be like God to Pharaoh and at the, what does this mean? Well, at the least, it means that he's superior to Pharaoh. We, we know that he's more superior in integrity and character. But Moses has a prophet, doesn't he? He has a sidekick. He has someone who's going to speak for him. And that does wonders for Moses. Moses is going to Pharaoh, but he doesn't have to speak. He has someone speaking For him. And this is going to give him position and status in Pharaoh's eyes. And uh, I was reading a story this week. Legan Duncan tells a story of the Pope. Now, the Pope always wanted to drive a car, but he always had a chauffeur to drive him around. And one day, the Pope asked the chauffeur, said, Look, you think it'd be okay if I drove? And, And the chauffeur consented. And shortly after, the Pope was pulled over for speeding. And the policeman walked up to the car and the Pope rose down the window. And the policeman looks in and sees the Pope. And the policeman says, well, excuse me one moment. He goes back to his uh, patrol car and he picks up the radio and he says, we got somebody very important here. I mean, I don't know who he is, but the Pope's his chauffeur. <laughs> and that's what's kind of happened here for Moses. Is, is he's got this sidekick, Aaron, who's speaking for him. And he's able to come into Pharaoh's presence with this spokesperson. And it gives him this exalted position in in Pharaoh's eyes. And look in verse 3. Notice it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And we see this many times in in the book of Exodus. We're going to come back to this again later in this sermon. Then we're going to address it again later in this series. But just make a note that it's not always Pharaoh hardened his own heart, even though that happens. But here, God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and it's important. In verse 4, God again reminds Moses of his previous promise. He will bring the Israelites out of Egypt. But even though Moses has this status of someone important before Pharaoh, it's going to be God and God alone that delivers his people from Pharaoh. I mean, think about it, Bryce, God has sent Moses to Pharaoh and told him to let his people go, and he's done that, and, and Pharaoh, uh, it, it wasn't like he went and told Pharaoh, hey, let, let God, I'm, I'm a messenger from the Lord, from the one true God, and I want you to let God's people go. God wants you to let his people go. And it wasn't like Pharaoh just says, okay, okay, they can leave whenever they want. No one's keeping them here. They're free to go. That didn't happen, did it? Instead, Moses and Aaron, they do all that God tells them to do, and and they say everything that God tells them to say. And not only does Pharaoh not give in, but Pharaoh takes away the straw and makes it harder for him. So what's going on here, folks, is, is Pharaoh is refusing He's refusing Moses. He's refusing God. And so what's God going to do? God's going to flex his muscles. And he's going to show Pharaoh who he truly is. So what's the purpose of this hardening Pharaoh's heart? So these plagues come upon Egypt. Why does God harden Pharaoh's heart? That's going to result in him continually saying no to God, no to God, no to God. And there's going to be judgment after judgment after judgment coming upon the people of Egypt. Why? Well, look at verse 5. It tells us. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Because they're saying, I'm not giving in, I'm not giving in, these people can't go. I mean, they're they're Pharaoh's workforce. Why would he let them go? But God says, yes, I'm going to judge you, and then not only that, but my people are going to be set free. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. See, nothing happens until God is ready for it to happen. God is sovereign and He wants everybody to know that now we're gonna start these plagues today we're gonna get through the first first three and scholars have pointed out that the first nine plagues fall into three sets of three in ascending order of severity so you got group of three group of three group of three and every group of three he's going to give a a purpose clause so the overall purpose of the plagues we just read in verse five is so, so that all will know that I am the Lord. But look at chapter seven, verse seventeen. And it's what uh, sammy's read for us. But this is the first plague, right? He turns water to blood. Look at verse seventeen. Thus says the Lord: By this you shall know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the waters in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Again, chapter eight, verse twenty-two. So he gives a purpose clause in the first plague then we go to the fourth plague the second group of three verse 22 this is is the plague of the flies but on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth again what's the purpose so that everyone would know that God is the Lord And then chapter 9, verse 14, before the seventh plague, the the plague of hail. 9, 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. So God wants Pharaoh and the Egyptians to know that he is God and that he alone should be worshipped. But God doesn't just want the Egyptians to know that he is God, but he wants Moses and Aaron and the Israelites to know that he is God. In fact, chapter 6, verse 7, he's already told the Israelites, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Also, Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is right before the Israelites go into the promised land. They've already been rescued. They've already been redeemed. They're going into the promised land. Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Do you remember the first time Moses went to Egypt? We studied that several weeks back. It's chapter 5 verse 2. Moses made it known to Pharaoh that God wanted him to release the Israelites. And Pharaoh answers him and Chapter five, verse two. But Pharaoh says, "Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go." And so the rest of the book is is showing us God is going to show us who He is. Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? And God said, "Well, I'm going to show you. I'm, I'm the God who hardens hearts and judges sinners." Pharaoh and all of Egypt will know that the Lord is God. And they they may not bow the knee and and submit to God willingly, but they will bow the knee. Secondly, God wants them to know that, that He is the Lord, He wants all people to know that. And secondly, we see that God is sovereign over creation one of the evidences that that god exists is the order by which things function think about the or- orbit of the planets think about the rotation of the earth on its axis and the phases of the moon think about the deciduous trees how they drop in the fall every fall they're going to drop their leaves now, some years they're, they're beautiful and colorful. Some, we, some, some years they're not, but they always drop their leaves. And in the spring, guess what happens? Those same trees, what do they do? They all bud out, sprout and bud out new leaves. Yeah. What about the sun rises and the sun sets? See, these are just a few. How do we know that God exists? There's such order in all that we see. colossians chapter 1 verse 16 and 17 speaking of christ paul writes for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together see there's this god creates the world and he holds it all together there's order yeah that's how we know there's there's a creator God is the God of order, but sometimes God does something extraordinary. In the plagues, what God is doing here is he's undoing the order of creation in order to show that he is sovereign over all things. God's undoing things to show that he is in control. What usually works for us is now going to work against us. Now look at chapter 7, verse 9 through 12. This is a precursor to the plagues. But Aaron is told to throw down his staff, and it's going to become a snake. And what's interesting is the sorcerers, the magicians, the wise men of Egypt, they did the same thing. So Aaron throws down his staff, just as the Lord had told him to do, and it becomes a snake. You think, whoa, wow. Don't see that every day. But then Pharaoh calls in his magicians. See what y'all can do. And so all of them, ever how many it was, it doesn't tell us. They throw their staffs down. They become snakes. Interesting. Look at verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 12. For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents. But what happened? But Aaron's staff swaddled up their staffs. think about it. Aaron throws down his staff, it becomes a snake, and they all come in and throw down their staves, and they, they become snakes. So, it's a bunch of snakes running around. But then all of a sudden, you have God's snake, Aaron's snake. It is... I don't know if you've ever seen a snake eat something. Yeah. And it just ate all of them up, just gobbled them up real quick. One left. One left, I wouldn't say standing, because that wouldn't be true, right? But the one left alive is God's snake. should tell Pharaoh something, should it? But it didn't. That's the precursor, right? It's one of those my daddy can beat up your daddy things, you know? Now let's look at the first judgment. So we see this undoing of the Creator. That just don't happen naturally. That's not the way God set things up. And so what does God do? He flips things. He undoes things. He flips things around where you have these unnatural things occurring look at the first judgment we read about it already chapter 7 verse 14 through 25 what does god do he turns the nile and all the water in egypt into blood not just the nile but all the water that's in the pots all the water that they've gathered up they gather up water and they boil it they boil it to clean it and they put it in pots ready for drinking well guess what all of that water not only the nile the river's blood now everything in their pots and everything they've gathered up is blood as well but notice in verse 22 again pharaoh calls and calls out the magicians to the the bank of the nile says can y'all do that and so what do they do they turn water into blood as well you might be like wait a minute now, these judgments, I thought these were things that only God can do. Well, that's not exactly true because the, the magicians are doing it. So, well, how does that so? I thought this is something that just God could do. Well, no, they were doing it as well. Well, where did their power come from? Yeah, from the evil one, right? From the enemy. But we'll see in a moment that their power is limited. And you see this all throughout the Scriptures. The Scriptures tell us throughout how the enemy empowers people to do his work. I mean, think about Mark chapter 5. I was trying to think about that. Mark chapter 5, these are two that came to my mind quickly. The demoniac, do you remember the demoniac? He was, he was possessed by demons, and he couldn't, be, he couldn't be secured. He couldn't be tied up. Even chains he broke because of his strength yeah how that where that strength come from supernatural power from the evil one right or what about acts 16 the little servant girl you remember the little servant girl that was going around predicting the future Yeah. how did that where did that power come from yeah from the enemy it was power it was dark power it was evil power from the enemy from the devil these are just two examples right but you see the result of, of what the magicians did in verse 22. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. and He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house and did not take even this to heart. So he sees his magicians. Oh, well, they can do that. That's not all that powerful because my magicians can do that. And so he just... Uh, Harden his heart and he goes back on his way, which is pretty incredible because turning water into blood is no small thing. It's no small inconvenience. My family, we lived overseas, and um, living in a third world country, you never know when you're going to have electricity or water. You just wake up one day and electricity's off. There's no reason, there's nobody to call and ask, there's nobody to call to complain to. That's what drove us crazy. Here we don't have electricity what do we do call Southwest we still don't have electricity after a while we call Aunt Betty that works at Southwest right or we call our neighbor whose daughter works in the office and we get them to call them. what's going on when are we gonna have power you know this is terrible well that doesn't happen in third-world countries you have no one to complain to so you never know you might have electricity all out for a day two days three days you never know and it was inconvenient for sure but I would do without electricity for a month before I did without water. It's terrible. When we first got to China, anytime you go in the bathroom, you know, have you have a, a squatty there, just a hole in the floor, and they always had a faucet dripping and they always had a big old thirty, forty gallon barrel catching water. And I didn't know, you know, just getting there, just trying to figure it all out like why in the world have they got this dripping faucet dripping water in this tank? does everybody have a leaky faucets do all the faucets in china leak drip but no what they were, they were they're smart they're planning for no water because you had the water cut off regularly as well and you never knew when you're going to get water back on it may be a day two days three days four days you never know so they had them a barrel so they could flush with and wash with and cook with no small inconvenience. But because of the magician's work, being empowered by the enemy, Pharaoh hardens his heart. I, no big deal. Let's look at the second judgment. So Pharaoh is not moved. And as a result, what happens? Keep in mind, because he's hardened his heart, he's saying, know the Lord, know the Lord, his heart's hardened, then what happens? The, the judgments just keep coming. So we got the second judgment, the second plague. Chapter eight, verse one through seven, let's read it together. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. Sounds kind of cool, huh? Drew, where's Drew? She in here? She just loved that. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. She's back. She'd be just eating that up. Oh, that's awesome. Bring it on. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come upon into your house and into your bedroom and then on your bed. How romantic, huh? And into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Ugh. The frogs shall come upon you and upon your people and all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Frogs in the bed, frogs in the tub, frogs in the bread. For some of us, it'd be just too much, right? But again, the magicians accomplish the same feat. Empowered by the enemy, they make frogs appear. But you'll notice here in this play what's different, they can't get rid of them. And so what does Pharaoh do? Look at verse 8. Through fifteen, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, "Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord." All of a sudden, here you see movement with Pharaoh, right? For the first time, he's had enough of the frogs. Moses said to Pharaoh, "Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile." He's like, "Hey, just tell me when." I'll call on the Lord. He'll get rid of these frogs just like that. And he said, Tomorrow, Moses says, Be it, be it as you say, so that so that why? So that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you, and your houses, and your servants, and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. Yeah, there's a purpose in this, isn't it? Yeah, so Pharaoh will know. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there 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 was a respite, right, consequence over, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. You see this hardness of heart, again by Pharaoh. And as he hardens his heart, what does God do? God pours it on, pours on the misery, pours on the judgment. Pharaoh says, no, God says, next judgment. Verse 16 through 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may be may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand and his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but what happened? No more power. But they could not... So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is pretty interesting. We see a a turn of events here. What what did the magician say to Pharaoh? This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. So here we see this repetition again. Pharaoh's heart's hard, and so God pours it on. And we're going to go to plague four. We'll pick up with that next week. But here we see the magicians. What do they do? They they cry, "Uncle, right? Mercy!" They say, yeah, "We can't do. We can't. We've done all we can do. This guy, this this God's too much for us." Yeah, they're the first ones to get it. This is the finger of God. Why did God harden Pharaoh? Why did God send the plagues? So the magicians would know that he is the one true sovereign God. We see God is sovereign over creation. He brings about an undoing of the created order to prove that he alone is Lord. He alone is in control. God is making himself known as the sovereign Lord over creation. But also he's sovereign over the human heart. We see this time and time again that Pharaoh hardens his heart. What what does it mean to have a hard heart? You have a hard heart? It means you're stubborn. You're not yielded to the Lord. You're not sensitive to the things of God, the truth of God. You care nothing about God's desires for you or for others. Now, Pharaoh is culpable Just like Moses, just like you and I are, right? He's responsible for his own heart. He's responsible for his own actions. And God keeps saying, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. And he continually says, no, no, no. He has a stubborn, hard heart. See, Pharaoh wants to be God. He wants to live life his way. He doesn't want anyone telling him what to do. And even when times get hard and he softens just a little... What does he do? As soon as the consequence is gone, the consequence is finished, what does he do? He hardens again. Oh, Moses, pray. You pray to your God that these frogs will leave us and I'll let you go. He says, when you want that to happen, Pharaoh? What about tomorrow? Okay, tomorrow. Tomorrow, he prays, the frogs die. And immediately, Scripture says when they, Pharaoh sees there's a respite, what does he do? hardens his heart again. I changed my mind. You're not going anywhere. In fact, in chapter 9, you're going to see Pharaoh even tell the Lord that he's a sinner. I've sinned against God. But yet when the consequences are gone, it doesn't hurt anymore. He's going to harden his heart again. Now, Pharaoh hardens his heart, but this is something that's real important. But God hardens his heart also. We see that in chapter 7, verse 3. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Why will he not listen? Because God hardened his heart. Now, several of you have asked questions about this text. What does that mean? God hardened his heart. What about about Pharaoh and his free will? He should be able to decide what he wants to do. And you're right. But it also says that God hardens his heart. Well, which one is it? Did Pharaoh harden his heart or did God harden his heart? The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, both occurred. So both must be true. It's like, oh, that's how is that so? It's so. The Bible says it is. The difficulty is how we marry those things together, and yeah, it's difficult. I've heard others say God hardens Pharaoh's heart, but he doesn't do it in a vacuum. Romans chapter 1, verse 24, we see Paul is explaining the condition of the the Gentile heart, the unbelieving heart. He says in verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Therefore, because they were rebellious, they didn't want to listen, they want to do what they want to do, they weren't sensitive to the things of God, God gave them up. Their hearts were hard, so what did God do? He hardened them all the more and let them do what they wanted to do. So the sovereign God makes a stubborn man's heart more stubborn. Pharaoh is already at odds with the Lord, and the Lord makes Pharaoh even more unyielding to him. Pharaoh's insensitive to God's truth. He's not sorry for his sin. He's not willing to change. He's not willing to listen. And so we see God's sovereignty. It's displayed in that he is the one who determines the state of the heart of the God of Egypt, the leader of the greatest nation in the world. His heart is in God's hand. You say, man, that's really difficult to Marry those two together. We response for a heart is God' response for a heart. I'll just say this: you really can't appeal to the responsibility of the human heart, and at the same time deny God's sovereignty over the human heart. But also, you can't appeal to God's sovereignty over the human heart and at the same time deny the responsibility man has over his own heart. So you. If you're you're on that fence and you're like, well, is it man's responsibility and he's he's responsible for his heart or is it God hearting the heart? What is it? I'll just say when you're on the fence, you can't lean too far one way. Because if you do, then you you oppose what Scripture teaches. You think, man, you're not really helping it. You're muddy in the waters. (laughs) Maybe so. (laughs) You can text me, ask me questions. And small group leaders, oh, yeah, they love this. They'll they'll answer every question you have about this, right, in small group on Sunday. It's difficult. It's hard. And so what I'll say is whether we fully understand how these two truths are married together or not, we have to humbly embrace both truths. We're responsible for our hearts, but yet, God, you see him hearting hearts. And the main point of this text is what? That God is sovereign over the human heart. And you know what happens? God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And what's the, what's the ultimate end result? Well, Israel's getting, getting released. They're rescued. Well, that's true. But what's the ultimate goal? God gets glorified. He hardens Pharaoh's heart, and, and he hardens Pharaoh's heart, and every time he pours out a plague, he hardened Pharaoh's heart, and, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's hardening his own heart, and every time, what's he doing? He's pouring out more judgment, pouring out more judgment, so why? So he can receive more glory. And isn't that the goal? So how do we apply this text? And if you have questions, I'd love to talk to you more about that. Like I said, in small groups, we'll discuss that at length um, we could have that ongoing discussion, but you have to you have to embrace both those truths. How do we apply this? A couple things. Number one, you'll notice that Moses and Aaron they said exactly what God wanted them to say, but what were the, what were the results? Harsher treatment by Pharaoh, but I, he obeyed the Lord. Isn't Pharaoh supposed to respond rightly? No, God is hardening his heart. So what does that mean for us, Savannah? It means that sometimes we say exactly the right thing in exactly the right way and people don't respond rightly. On these mission trips one of the things we do one of the things one of the reasons we do these things is because we prepare and we plan and we talk about how to share the gospel we practice sharing the gospel and we're, we're doing that on Wednesday nights with our adults and in the fall we're gonna to continue to do that just how to share the gospel how do we share our faith and we practice those things but you can say all the right things get it exactly right say exactly what the Lord would have you to say but we know what happens More times than not. People with hard hearts do what? They stiff arm the Lord. Why? Because they have hard hearts and their spiritual eyes aren't open. They're closed and their ears are closed. Ephesians 2. I'm going to flip over there and read this for you because this is going to be an encouragement for you. If you're like... God's sovereign over the heart, but we're responsible for our heart. How does that all work together? Ephesians chapter 2, this is a wonderful text that helps us see that God has to open eyes and ears, and he has to work in a heart. Paul is writing this to Gentiles believers, but he's speaking to their pre-conversion days he says and you and we can say that about us all of us and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world think about you before you were regenerate adam think about you before you repented john think about you before you repented okay You are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our desires, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's a great, great, probably one top five verses in the Bible. But God, being rich in what? Mercy. Mercy. Because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Woo! What did he do for us? We were sinners, couldn't hear his truth, didn't want to hear it, and what happened? Miraculous things happened, but God, what did he do? He made us alive. He regenerated our old dead heart and gave us life so we could repent and believe and trust him and follow him. Wow. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Can you you say that? Can you say, yeah, I, I, I was this to God, but God... Can you say that's happened in your life? There may be some here. And you're like, "Ah, but God doesn't mean anything to me. When I get kind of excited, you know, I'm looking at some of you about to fall asleep. But then you get to this point, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. You can relate, right, because you've had this story of how God has changed your life. And there's some here that maybe you don't have a but God moment. You're still wallowing in sin, living your life the way you want to live, But we as believers, we can say all the right things exactly. It's, this, will be, this ought to be convincing. And people not receive it, reject it. Moses is doing it. He's saying the exact things God wants him to say. But Pharaoh is not hearing it. He's hardened his heart. So why do we keep sharing? Because Didi had a but God moment. Shane had a but God moment, Chris had a but God moment when he heard the gospel. Caleb had a but God moment. That's why we share the gospel. Because God, what does he do? He opens in blind eyes and deaf ears and he gives you a new heart, softens, gives you actually a new heart, right? Takes away that heart of stone, the Bible describes it, and gives us a heart of flesh. That's why we share the gospel, yeah more people I mean I'm a preacher I share the gospel pretty regularly it's kind of like my job you know if I didn't share the gospel you ought to fire me but most people when you share the gospel they don't want to embrace it they don't so what do we do we share the gospel what God wants us to say so people can have that but God moment second thing Pharaoh's seeing evidence of God. God doing miraculous things. The magicians cry, Uncle, had enough. They threw in the towel. They were boxing, they threw in the, the white towel, right? Too much for us. Too much for us. This is the finger of God, the hand of God. But Pharaoh. Didn't see it, he's hard as heart. So just a word for us, those of us who've yet to trust Christ, who've yet to turn from our sin. You haven't had that but God moment, just a, a word of caution. Don't harden your hearts. Don't continue to harden your hearts. God calls us to repent and believe. Turn from our sin and following our own ways and doing our own will and trust Christ's work on the cross so that you could be forgiven, so that you could know Him and be set free from the bondage of sin and selfishness. Lastly, creation was undone. He's doing these plagues, He's doing things that are not natural this God who's very created this very orderly world things are not are are undone it's interesting we see that again about 33 a.d god had taken on flesh he became a man was called jesus he lived this life the way God the Father wanted him to live, the way he calls us to live. He met the standard God gave in his law. And he gave himself up to die on a cross, to be the once for all sacrifice for sinners. All those Old Testament sacrifices, they were pointing towards him. While on the cross, I'll tell you what happened. I'm going to read this to you. Just sit there. Luke 23, verse 44 through 48. Jesus on the cross, willingly. He didn't get captured, drugged there, kicking and screaming. Willingly gave up his life to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the once for all sacrifice, to receive the wrath of the Father for sinners. This is what happened. It was now about the sixth hour. That's high noon. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So from 12 to 3, it's completely dark, like night. What? What's going on? Something supernatural. The created order... Sun comes up in the morning. It's daylight. Till now it's like 8.30 or o'clock, right? It's noon. It's supposed to be bright. We can see. It's daylight. There's an undoing of the created order. And while the sun's light failed, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Matthew tells us there was an earthquake, an undoing. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion, the Roman soldier, saw what had taken place, he praised God. Roman soldier praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Why? Because the created order had been undone whoa it's dark and it's been dark for hours what's going on and all the crowds that assembled for this spectacle they're watching Jesus who said he was king of the Jews who said tear this down I'll build it up in three days when they saw what had taken place they returned home Beating their breast. In other words, they're going, What in the world just happened? Created order undone so God could reveal Himself. Just like in Egypt, why is God undoing all these natural order of things? water to blood, frogs, gnats. So all would know that he alone is God. Jesus went to the cross and things are undone. So all would know. Centurion knew, all these people going home, they knew, yeah, this is something spectacular, this place, God is wanting us to know that he is God He is sovereign over creation. He is sovereign over the human heart, and He is Savior. If you never surrender to the Lord, I hope you do that today. Hope the Lord will draw you to Himself and soften your heart and grant you faith and life in Christ. Jesus died so we could be set free, so we could know the Father, so we could walk with Him and... Please Him. I hope you'll submit to the Lord today. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge Your goodness. We're thankful that You are sovereign, sovereign over creation, sovereign over the human heart. And Lord, there's so many in in this room. I I look around, I see Chapel, and I, I see Carly, and I see Rhonda, I see Kayla, miss Patsy and I see all these people who have been changed by you and father you've they've had these but God moments where you've given us new hearts and given us new life because of what Christ has done for us and father we're so thankful I'm so thankful that I know you so thankful that Morgan knows you and Elise knows you. Wow, what a blessing. We recognize that's your work in us and we're thankful. We take no credit for it. We're just thankful that you drew us to yourself. But, Father, for those that are here that are hardening their hearts, that have yet to yield to you, God, I just pray for a work of your spirit that lost people would be saved. Father, you've done so much to reveal your character. We see the creation and all that you've done, this created order of things, and we see Christ and his life, how he laid it all down for you and for your glory and for sinners Father I pray that lost people would be saved today Father help us as a church Lord to continue to share this message your message the gospel Lord help us to tell people what you want us to say so that more and more people could have a but God moment help us be faithful in that Father for those that are visiting, Lord, I know there's some that are they are just trying to find a church home, a place they can belong. Lord, I pray that you would direct their steps. Lord, if it's here at Beaver, confirm that in them. Lord, if it's somewhere else, I pray that you would lead them and direct them. They would be able to lock arms with a church family. Father, as we, some of us are go, going to the funeral, Michelle's father, we just pray for grace for that family and whoever preaches that funeral, they would preach that sweet gospel message that lost people could hear. Father, as we go to camp this week, we pray for your blessings on our lives, we pray for sweet times, and Lord, for our hearts to be molded more into the image of Christ. Father, you know every need in this, representing this room. Father, may you meet that need and use your church to that end as well. In Jesus' name, amen.